I think we now have to get used to a different way of thinking. I think the central banks uh, are underappreciating the shock from the war in Ukraine. The big question is, is the growth slowdown going to be strong enough to sap the inflation that we're currently seeing? Hello. There is no relief in sight for central banks as they continue to negotiate an increasingly wobbly tightrope of balancing soaring inflation without toppling growth. That's tricky enough, but they and we are being buffeted by a war in Ukraine, a pandemic and, of course, market volatility. Now, if the central banks do put a foot wrong, will it trigger a soft landing or a hard landing, a recession? And how should investors prepare? We've got two of Fidelity International's top portfolio managers lined up with their ideas. I'm Richard Edgar, and this is Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation Podcast. Welcome to the studio. I've got three guests with me, Portfolio Managers Charlotte Harrington and Jeremy Podger, and Global Macroeconomist Anna Stubnitska. Thank you all for joining me today. Hello, Richard. Hi, Richard. Now, before we dive into the conversation proper, this year, Queen Elizabeth II, for the avoidance of doubt, is celebrating 70 years on the throne, becoming the first British monarch to mark a platinum jubilee. And we, her subjects in the UK, have been given an extra day's holiday. So how, dear colleagues, I would like to know, are you going to be marking this, uh, this day? Let me start with you, first of all, Charlotte. I will go along to anything that's going on in the village, which I think is a fate, but I haven't quite got organised to Any to party yet. that will have you. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, Jeremy, how about you? Oh, it's going to be fantastic. I think we've been roped into helping to set up a uh, street party in South East London, where we live, and uh, we'll have trestle tables and bunting. It's, it's going to be great. Very traditional. And, um, and Anna, how about you? Are you going to be marking the, uh, the Platinum Jubilee? Well, I'm very lucky that I have extremely keen neighbours and they are organising a street party with matching bunting and uh, tables and chairs and uh, proper dessert. So I might come along to that. Excellent. Okay. Enough of celebrations, even for Her Majesty, because we are officially in a bear market now. Whenever that happens, the news moves from the financial pages of newspapers to the front pages. It's worrying everyone. And I have to ask our portfolio managers, you're at the coalface. What's it like when, when markets tank like this? Jeremy, let me come to you first. Well, obviously, it's it can be very, very uncomfortable. But essentially, it is incredibly interesting. Markets are changing gear I think there are potentially lots of opportunities. Clearly, sentiment is at rock bottom and probably not justifiably so. Um, A lot of markets, as you say, more than 20% off highs. I mean, particularly when we look at the tech-heavy Nasdaq, which is off around 20% just since the end of March. Um, So I think it's really all about adapting to these tighter monetary conditions, the unwinding of the stimulus from covid um, lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities. You're taking a particularly rosy view to this, which I, which I like. We'll come to, come to that in more detail in a moment. Charlotte, what about you? I think it's very interesting. So this year, as you say, we've seen a lot of volatility and we have seen some quite significant sell-offs. But it's been quite targeted and quite um, thematic, if you like. It's been very focused on real rates and policy from the central banks. It's a little bit different, actually, to COVID, where um, it was sort of almost panic from the start um, and very indiscriminate selling. And I think one of the things that Jeremy's alluding to is some of the big sector dispersions, which makes this sell-off perhaps a bit more um, interesting and focused than previous ones. Uh, more orderly. Are we getting used to crises? I don't know. You might be. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I probably am. Okay, investors, Jeremy, you touched on this. They've had a remarkable run, really, a decade and a half of almost uninterrupted growth. But new thinking required, as you say. Yes, absolutely. I think I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be difficult. Um, personally, I think that this marks a new phase in markets. And, you know, you go back last 30, 40 years, there have been phases that have lasted a long, long time. Um, notably, I think in the last 10 years, has been this incredible growth trajectory. The growth style has won out um, for more than 10 years, and it kind of accelerated, um, reached a crescendo thanks to the monetary stimulus um, uh, peaking last year. And I think we now have to get used to a different way of thinking. Um, the background is going to be more inflationary um, with higher interest rates. Um, so I think the rules of the game effectively change. Okay. And um, Jeremy's talking from a, an equities point of view, Charlotte, but you're in multi-asset. So what have the conversations been like as you've had to change gears as a team to, to deal with this different environment? I think probably... Um a lot of this was actually sort of being talked about for the for, for quite a while. And if you think about particularly bond yields, um, you know, we were talking about high inflation for quite a lot of last year. And it's only really been this year that you've seen a very, very aggressive repricing. Uh, and it's the, the aggressive repricing has sort of come about at the same time as the central banks acknowledging that um, perhaps this is not as transitory as they'd hoped. So actually, in terms of the, the conversations, perhaps that's been been quite a focus, just given given the moves in in bonds. Uh, and the other focus, I think, which Anna will probably touch on is, is this sort of um, pivot from maybe being less worried about inflation to being a bit more worried about growth. And I think the big question is, is the growth slowdown going to be strong enough to sap the inflation that we're currently seeing? Uh, well, Anna, I hope you were listening there, because <laughs> that's a very good question. Why don't you tell us about growth and um, where you see the economy um, at the moment? We're almost halfway through the year, and what a year it's been. I talked in the introduction about um, the challenges that there are. Um, the war in Ukraine, you're Ukrainian, it must be very close to your heart, but also high inflation, supply shocks to the global economy. So um, paint a picture for us of where we are now. So we already started this year with a challenging picture of accelerating inflation and, and slowing growth. And the two shocks uh, that have been added to that is the war in Ukraine, as you said, um, but also the implementation of uh, zero COVID policy in China. Um, and that um, has uh, sent shock waves to the rest of the world through commodity markets, through financial conditions. Um, and so that stagflationary dynamics that we entered the year with has been uh, amplified further by these two shocks. Um, and so inflation is um, still accelerating in places uh, and the war in Ukraine um, will continue pushing that higher um, and at the same time the war in Ukraine is a systemic shock uh, and we have really powerful transmission channels in place such as the energy markets in particular that will continue uh, putting a serious drag on growth from here, particularly in Europe. Europe being more vulnerable uh, to the upcoming oil embargo, 
and the potential gas embargo as well. And of course, at the same time, we have major central banks very determined to bring down inflation uh, despite uh, growth concerns. Can I just jump in there, actually, on, on the central bank action? Because I was interested to see Christine Lagarde from the ECB uh, made quite an unusual intervention um, in, a, in a blog signaling the end of negative interest rates, that we're going to be back at zero by September. Is it too soon to say, oh, great, you know, we're, we're back at some semblance of normality now? It is too soon because, um, as Charlotte said, the question is, can central banks uh, uh, succeed in uh, driving inflation down, uh, but at the same time still keeping growth uh, at potentially above trend and not driving the economies down um, into recession? So as we move from stagflation towards some kind of lending, the question is, is it going to be soft lending or hard lending? And even Yellen uh, recently noted that the Fed will need to be skillful and also lucky to guide the economy to the soft landing. Lucky. It's a bit scary to have the fate of the global economy resting on luck. Exactly. And I do think that the ECB will have to be even luckier to be able to achieve this very tight balancing act. Um, as again, they want to bring inflation down, but they're also being pressured by the Fed, uh, by the Fed moving quite aggressively so far. And of course, that is playing out in, in currency markets in particular. So the ECB has to move, but they're facing um, a much more complex set of concerns constraints. On the growth side, uh, they are likely looking at recession. It may be technical, it may be uh, very short-lived, uh, uh, or it may be long-lived, depending on for the sanctions on Russia, uh, which we think is a matter of time. So it's when, not if. Uh, and at the same time, of course, the ECB is also facing the risks of uh, fragmentation in the periphery. We have seen that in the spreads already. And so they need to come up uh, with some spread management tool, which they have hinted at, and we're expecting some announcement on that, uh, that would allow them to prevent that fragmentation from happening once QE is over. And that's not going to be easy. Okay. And in this complex patchwork that you've um, you've set out, how is Fidelity's core asset allocation adapting to that? Uh, still cautious on risk in the overall asset allocation. Uh, said the team remains uh, uh, underweight equity risk and underweight credit risk, and uh, we're also flagging that there are risks of uh, being long duration from here. We think that interest rates, both in nominal terms, but in real terms, um, are close uh, to, to, to the peak, particularly uh, the so-called terminal rates, so five-year, five-year forwards, for example. We think they're close to the peak. Um, and in this environment, we think that the further tightening in financial conditions is likely to be done by credit, rather than bond yields. That's what we've seen year to date. Okay, thank you very much indeed. We're going to look a little more closely at central banks now. The big debate around the Federal Reserve is whether the tightening of financial conditions could go too far and lead the US into a recession. I asked two Fidelity portfolio managers to explain their quite different views on the topic. And you can hear that debate in full on the Rich Pickings channel. But here is a short excerpt of Paul Greer and Tim Foster discussing what's influencing the Fed's thinking. 
Well, I think in the near term, the priority has to be uh, containing price pressures. And, and Powell has been quite explicit about that uh, in, in, in recent weeks. Uh, certainly, when you think about their dual mandate of full employment uh, and, and sustainable price pressures over the medium term, I think the latter is clearly top of mind at the moment. Their accumulated savings in in Europe as well, but you know I think it's something like accumulated sort of excess savings at about eighteen percent of of twenty nineteen disposable income in the US. It's probably about twelve percent for for the EU. You know the UK is somewhere in between those two numbers. So more definitely more accumulated savings in the US. Um, you know because of that that kind of greater degree of of fiscal stimulus and the earlier stimulus. Um, you know, also there's there's much less slack in the labour market in the US, and actually the UK as well as some you know stands out as someone with very little labour market slack. Whereas I think in the EU, you know, there are more people still working on sort of reduced hours and that sort of thing, and unemployment is basically higher in the EU anyway. So there's more labour market slack in the EU, but but a lot less slack actually in the US and also the UK. The voices of Tim Foster and before him, uh, Paul Grian. As I say, you can hear the rest of that debate um, on the Rich Pickings um, channel. But just coming back into the studio now, um, there's lots of criticism of the central banks that they've been, in particular, just too slow to act. Do you think that's fair, Jeremy? Well, I think, I mean, that criticism could also be levelled at us in the financial community. Um, you know, six, nine months ago, we were all echoing what the central banks themselves were saying, that effectively inflation was a temporary blip. Obviously, the longer it goes on, the more embedded it becomes. So now we're all dealing with it as more of an endemic problem. Um, So I would, you know, certainly sympathise, but I would be in the camp of saying, you know, they should have done this many years ago, normalised rates many, many years ago, um, when they had more flexibility to do it. We're now all addicted to the uh, the punch bowl. Um, Charlotte, do you you think it's fair criticism? I mean, like, clearly, inflation is a lot above target. And um, if they're being measured against that objective, then um, yes, they've been far too slow and um, been sort of caught out by the persistence of of the inflation we've seen. But I think it's worth saying that, um, you know, the central banks are still minded to think that there is significant supply side disruption that is contributing to this inflation. And, you know, they had a view that that would dissipate quite quickly it's possible that it does still dissipate. It's just taken a lot longer than they thought. And so, you know, I think these kind of judgments, it's not really my job to judge what's right or wrong. It's uh, to attempt to try and sort of uh, navigate the, the markets. But um, for what it's worth, I think we'll, we'll probably know better in time as opposed to commenting in real time. You know, these things always look different with the benefit of hindsight. They do, don't they? I bet Anna agrees with that. Um, economics is much easier in retrospect <laughs> than it is in, in forecasting. But um, um, I mean, a, a final word on central banks to you, Anna, and then I want to come to Charlotte on, on the US in particular. But um, anything to add on the way that policymakers are, are navigating things this year? Well, we think that um, the central banks are now being too hawkish uh, given the shocks that uh, we talked about, particularly the war in Ukraine. There's a lot of focus on inflation on the domestic market, particularly in the US. But of course, the Fed sets global financial conditions, not just domestic financial conditions. Um, and I think there isn't uh, much appreciation uh, of uh, the stress that the current tightening will be putting on emerging markets in particular. 
um, given the cost of living crisis, given the very, very high inflation in agricultural commodities and energy commodities. I think the central banks uh, are underappreciating the shock uh, from uh, the war in Ukraine, its persistency and how systemic it will be. And so ultimately we believe that while the hawkish narrative and the hawkish policy action will continue for the next few months in order to tighten the financial conditions, we think that ex post uh, this uh, policy tightening path is not going to be as steep and as aggressive as central banks themselves expect it to be. Okay, so a lot of uncertainty even amongst the policymakers. Um, Charlotte, you didn't want to criticise them, and you said your job is to negotiate the um, uh, the markets. How do you then, in this very unclear environment, how do you negotiate investing in the States, for example? So I think it's quite interesting in the sense that if you think about sort of the things, the events that have unfolded this year, we've, we've talked a lot about the Fed. The Fed has sort of been, if you like, the shock to the United States economy. Um, the events in Russia has been the sort of primary or dominant shock to to Europe, and then uh, zero COVID and, and and policymaking in China has been a shock there. So so pretty much everywhere you're looking has got its own um, shock to deal with, uh, and of course some of these will sort of are more global than just isolated to those areas. But those are the areas that most hit. Um, in terms of the US, I think the the risk from here is is that there's a more significant slowdown. I think in the US than than people maybe realise. We've all focused a lot on. Russia, Europe, zero COVID in China and, and the negatives there. But but actually, I think there are certainly some signs of weakness in, in the US economy. And you know, we've talked a lot about um, excess savings. And you know, the reality is these excess savings have, have been worked down by stock market falls, um, inflation, both at the pump, but also food prices. Um, and Consumer confidence is extremely weak. We're seeing credit cards going up, sort of indicating that um, you know these excess savings are just not the, the be all and end all for the US. And and and, and for me, that's the um, the really important thing for the rest of this year, actually. So perhaps people have been a bit too complacent about where uh, consumer spending may may go in the months to come. Potentially, if we look at real retail sales as opposed to nominal, um, they've really flatlined. So you know the strength of the US consumer, I. I I think is um, perhaps a little bit less clear cut than um, than maybe we'd we'd like to think. Okay, so some caution there from Charlotte. Jeremy, coming back to you, you spoke earlier about your excitement um, that there are opportunities around. Where are the opportunities then? I mean, is it because things have fallen? We're now at the bottom, or is this just you know individual things that you're looking at that that look interesting? Yeah, certainly I wouldn't call a a bottom. So we have been looking at some of the growth stocks that have been caught up in this in this market route. Um, but when we look in aggregate, a lot of the growth stocks are still elevated in valuation terms compared to long-run history. So it's, it's really looking at, at the extremes. Fallen angels to some extent, and, and we have started picking up a couple of those. Um, but also at the other end of the scale, some of the cyclicals that seem to discount potentially severe recession, um, where I think a long-term view would advocate a higher valuation at this point. And I think I'd include financials, because if we are normalising in interest rate terms, that's generally good for financial sectors, uh, banks in particular, and most financials are quite well geared in to an inflationary environment. Their revenues do go up with inflation. 
So that's uh, looking at companies. What about regions, you know, entire countries as markets? Well, I mean, we've talked a lot about monetary tightening. Um, I think it's really interesting that China's obviously going the other way at the moment and, and, and trying to slash interest rates to um, stimulate domestic growth. We don't know whether or not that will work given the problems that they're facing right now. Um, but where we have been adding recently is, is in Japan. The yen has been incredibly weak this year. So it really makes those Japanese exporters a lot more competitive. And I think, you know, in a sense, you've got a free option um, on, on recovery in China. Japan's very sensitive to, to China. Valuations in Japan are rock bottom at the moment. Fascinating. Okay, well, um, we've got a little bit more on China. As you say, things are far from normal there. It's facing a very different set of challenges to Europe and the US. Here's Paul Greer, portfolio manager, speaking on the topic again. Global growth expectations are are falling pretty quickly, um, principally led by by China. You know, China is in quite a difficult position at the minute uh, in terms of what they're trying to achieve with the zero COVID policy, as well as you know tackling the debt burdens, particularly on the real estate sector. Um, and you know, we we always say that it's the Fed that sets the global cost of capital, but it's China that sets the global pace of growth. Uh, and, and and clearly, China is in in a tough position at the minute in terms of growth expectations. That feeds through to the rest of emerging markets as well, um, and and I fear that you know these this this kind of dual conditions of you know tightening monetary pretty much everywhere combined with rapidly cooling growth you know particularly in China will, will result in uh, you know an abrupt turn from from G10 central banks um, probably quite soon. That's the view from fixed income. Um, Charlotte, given what you've just heard from Paul Greer there and and what you're seeing in markets yourself, um, how are you positioned on China and Asia more broadly? China, as as we said, is is easing policy and and they are sort of, um, you know, addressing to some degree the the weakness that has has got quite quite extreme. But um, it's very hard for that stimulus to really get into the real economy while while zero covid's in place and you know while you've got people inside houses they can't really spend that money um and so actually the zero covid policy is um if you like a sort of a dam and actually predicting when that goes i think is very very hard you know this is not similar to the west the chinese incentives around this are are different omicron is a uh, very difficult to contain and um zero covid is going to be very hard to achieve so um i think it's uh, even though there's the potential for something a bit better out of China, given how bad things have got, the sort of binary event of ending zero COVID, I think is very, very challenging to to know when that will happen. Okay, I guess listen to Rich Pickings in um, uh, in months to come, Charlotte, <laughs> and we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have that there. Jeremy, those concerns about the Chinese economy, where growth is going, um, you've talked about your clever sort of... Uh, um, option on on China through um, buying Japanese assets. How else does that uh, play out in, in in how you invest in Chinese companies that specifically? That's that is an interesting question. As you know, China the Chinese market's been really dominated by these big internet platform companies, um, and they've very much fallen on hard times. Um, there's been increasing regulations made it much more difficult um, for those companies to raise profits and move into adjacent areas. But there will be opportunities. Um, 
And I think from a global investment point of view, um, China, as well as India, um, are both going to be very, very significant economies, um, which potentially are going to be less correlated with Western developed markets, if you like. Um, so it's really important that we keep them in view to make for a, a, a really well-diversified portfolio. Well, now we really are almost out of time, but not before we play the rich pickings parlour game, hot cakes and hot potatoes. What would you buy like a hot cake or drop like a hot potato? Anna, coming to you first. Just keeping it very simple along the lines of uh, the core allocation views. Um, hot uh, cake would be duration, particularly in the UK, so UK guilt, and hot potatoes, credit, uh, and specifically uh, US high yield. Okay, thank you very much indeed. And uh, Jeremy, your hot cakes? Well, can I do both at the same time? Because I think my hotcakes and my hot potatoes come from the same shop. This year, we've seen in, in the US, the IPO index decline by about 50%. Um, and that's thrown up a few opportunities. So I think, look amongst fallen IPOs, the hotcakes are the ones, the profitable companies that people have just sort of moved away from. But um, hot potatoes just avoid any loss-making companies that have come to the market in the last two two years or so. Thank you very much indeed. And Charlotte, finally coming to uh, to you. And so I think I'm going to say my hot cake is well, at least on a sort of a tactical trade here, a relatively short time horizon is the euro. Um, it's been extremely beaten up, and the ECB are getting more hawkish. Um, and unsurprisingly, then my hot potato, if I'm allowed to jump to that, uh, then is is the dollar because. Because I think the, the central bank that's got the most priced in and that's potentially facing a, a weaker economy than perhaps has been been um, recognized so far is is actually the US. And that could benefit that sort of euro dollar trade. Lovely. Lots of neat pairings there. Thank you all very much indeed. Thanks to Charlotte, Anna and Jeremy and to Paul Greer and Tim Foster, who were speaking earlier. If you'd like to read any more on the topics we've discussed, there's a feast of material on your local Fidelity website or at fidelityinternational.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you've heard, then please like, share and subscribe. The podcast today was produced by Holly Eastman with technical support from Canon Blitz. From all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.